Welcome to another Purple Insider Podcast. Matthew Collar here. This time I am inside my car because still construction work is going on at my house and I was afraid of rain. And actually, um, because it did rain around here, the park benches were wet. So that is why I'm inside my car with Will Raggetts of Sports uh, Illustrated, another Raggetts roundtable, including from the Pioneer Press, Dane Mizutani, and also a new podcaster inside Purple and Gold, which I think probably needs a name change. But I'm excited, Dane, because I think you are one of the most unique commentators on the Minnesota Vikings, and I'm excited for you to have a podcast. So Will is going to lead the, the, the roundtable discussion as always. Uh, so where do you want to begin, Will? Well, first I want to say that uh, I think people should recognize the versatility and the uh, the adaptability that you are showing here by not only recently recording a podcast in the park, but then with some weather today, recording a podcast in your car. So I just wanted to commend you for that before we begin. Uh, Dane, thanks for joining us. Uh, before we like start talking about the Vikings, you want to talk about your podcast briefly and what what we can expect from that? Yeah. So me and Jace Frederick, he's my colleague at the Pioneer Press, one of my really good friends. Um, we're jumping back into the podcast game. We've we've had two failed podcasts now, and this is the third one. Um, third time's we had, a charm. We had one podcast that I think we did like two episodes of, and like just did it on SoundCloud and we were like, this sucks. And <laughs> so we stopped. And then we had a bunker to bunker podcast, which I think a couple of people listened to a handful of people. Um, but we just got kind of tired of that. Like, honestly, like nobody listens to golf podcasts. So it just got kind of fatiguing after a while. Jace was basically the producer. I didn't do a lot except talk. So I think he kind of got sick of like doing all the work. Um, and yeah, no, so we're jumping into a third podcast, Inside Purple and Gold, um, just talking Vikings, kind of trying to find our own niche. There's a lot of Vikings podcasts out there. Um, so we'll just try and bring a little fun, lighthearted commentary to uh, the team that, that gives a lot of content for that. So can, can I just say, Dane, that I was a bunker to bunker listener on occasion and what it needed was more about you guys playing golf because having played a lot of golf with both you and Jace. It is an experience to the point where we've created a brand, Mizutani <laughs> Golf, to where anytime someone hits a tree and it mysteriously benefits them, it's Mizutani Golf. Anytime someone putts from more than, say, 40 feet away off of the green, it's Mizutani Golf. So you have, Or anytime someone just grips it and rips it, which I think is maybe your best asset as a golfer that you do not care. You do not take many practice swings. You hit you it and hope. Up and go. That is Mizutani Golf. So if you had made it all about your brand of golf, I think maybe it would have succeeded. Well, we didn't. We should have taken your your expertise as, as the the elite podcaster. But we didn't do it. It's failed. And uh, here we are now. But uh, excited for the other podcast. Um, but excited to be on this one, too. Yeah, well, I'm not a, uh, a golf guy at all. But uh, I am excited to talk about the Vikings with you guys today. Recording this on a, on a Friday coming off of two days of joint practices between the Vikings and 49ers leading into a preseason game that should maybe be a little more interesting than the previous one. Not that the, the Raiders game wasn't interesting, but I think we might see some starters play a little more. I'm, I'm not sure. Kevin O'Connell did not tell us. He said that, you know, we're still formulating that plan. But um, there, there are things that we observed over the past couple of days with the, the joint practices with the 49ers that I want to get into. Uh, and then there are some things that we can be looking for 
in, in this second preseason game and going forward with training camp pretty much wrapped up here. Uh, I want to start kind of uh, at the the back end of, of some position battles and and what we might be looking for in this preseason game from those specific battles. And uh, an interesting one, I think, is on the offensive line where uh, th- there are multiple kind of spots at the back end up for grabs. I think we I think Ed Ingram is going to start at right guard. I think we've kind of uh, come to that realization over the past couple a couple of days and, and and last week against the Raiders. But um, Dane, I mean, where do you think the Vikings are going to go kind of after like the, the top five offensive linemen and then like Jesse Davis, Chris Reed, do you think they keep um, like an extra tackle or two? Do they keep more interior depth? Does Wyatt Davis have a shot? What do you, what do you think the Vikings are going to uh, do there? And, and what do we need to see against the 49ers? Yeah, I don't think Wyatt Davis has a chance. I think Wyatt Davis kind of just stinks. I think we probably thought last year, like Zimmer hates rookies. Like that's why Wyatt Davis isn't playing, but Wyatt Davis is still running with the threes. Um, and now we're like in year two of his career and he should be jumping, you know, higher in the depth chart in theory, if he's this good player that Mike Zimmer just hated. He, I, no, I don't think Wyatt Davis has a chance, but I think when we look at the depth, players on the offensive line like I think like a player like Ole Udo probably still makes the team even if maybe he shouldn't like just because he is someone who offers some versatility um he can play tackle he can play guard um, he can swing like in these positions and I think that's kind of what you're looking for after you get your set five out there for your for your starting offensive line I'm not sure it's like a great thing that Ole Udo is on your roster because like I don't think he's really shown a lot to prove that like you should feel super comfortable if he has to go play some first team reps, if someone goes down, but he's a guy that I I think will make the team. Chris Reed's interesting to me because it seems like they wanted him to win this starting center job, but he like has a broken elbow or something. Like they say it's day to day, but he's missed like two weeks now. So it seems like last week or two weeks ago, they, they were trying out Chris Reed at center, having him snap, you know, dozens of balls to Kellen Mond, Sean Manning after practice. And then we just like, didn't see him for two weeks. So his chances of winning the starting center job, I think are basically zero at this point because he hasn't snapped in a game, but he's someone I think they could keep around um, with the maybe thought when he gets healthy, is he someone that can play center? I think they're still worried about Garrett Bradbury. I think that's pretty clear. Um, outside of that, like a guy like Blake Brando, I guess, like he offers a little bit of like versatility as a swing tackle. Um, but that's kind of where I stand. Austin Slotman's interesting. He played pretty well in like second team, third team reps last week. But these are all guys that like, if I'm going to be completely frank. Like I don't watch during practice. I just like see them during the games and stuff. And like Slotman was fine. Um, but I'm not like grinding, like how good Blake Brandle has looked today in practice. So um, or or, pretend, or pretending that you can tell, which is one of my favorite things of just like the, the oh, yeah, well, this guy's using this technique or whatever. Right. You're like, oh, come on now. Nobody knows what they're doing. Uh, actually, getting Dane to say the sentence Austin Schlotman is interesting is like an accomplishment for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> like, we, we <laughs> like, I mean, no, he's not. <laughs> he's interesting I mean, because Garrett Bradbury stinks. It's like yeah, maybe no, Austin yeah, Slotman might sure. have to play. But, yeah, he's but, a center on the roster who isn't Garrett Bradbury, which makes him right. So I he suppose, falls into a little this, interesting. 
he falls into this category of where, and Oli Udo was this guy last year, where we're just like, this person has a different name from the person <laughs> we know is really bad. And so let's say that he maybe could do something um, with the, the Chris Reed situation does, I, I think, throw a wrench in what they wanted here. It looked like, well, you can tell me if you agree with this, but it, it looked like to me that they were going to do the, well, you know, we gave Bradbury every chance and then, uh, well, you know, Chris Reed just played better. You hate to see it, even if maybe that was their low key plan the whole way. Um, because you know, there isn't any benefit of uh, cap wise to cutting Garrett Bradbury. So maybe they thought, well, let's just see how this goes, but this guy is our other option. And then, well, this guy ends up getting hurt. You're left with Austin Schlotman, who's very clearly a backup and there isn't like any other way that they can really go except for with Bradbury, because now Chris Reed is so far behind that we are what, like 20 days away from the start of the season. I don't see any way that you could just get. Uh, Chris Reed prepped and ready to go and fully healthy. And when Kevin O'Connell, this is going to be a fun game to, to, to do as well. Kevin O'Connell seems like he is optimistic just by nature, but if you're overly optimistic with injuries, people are going to get upset with you. So if you say like, well, you know, Chris Reed's day to day, but his arms dangling off of his body and <laughs> like, is it, you know, it just doesn't play for six weeks. Like that's not really day to day. I mean, uh, I guess that goes back to the old Vin Scully quote of like, aren't we all? Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the same thing with Irv Smith, where he keeps saying, well, he's on pace to play week one. He's on pace to play week one. But if he's not, then I think everyone's going to go back and go, uh, what happened there if he's not ready to play week one? But, you know, it seems to me, Will, that the offensive line and most other positions as far as battles go, even heading into the second game, are kind of set outside of a few depth positions. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I also agree with your point about, about Irv Smith. Kevin O'Connell has been very uh, optimistic every time we've talked to him. He said, you know, everything coming out of Irv's surgery was phenomenal, like the day after it happened. And uh, now the recent update was, yeah, Irv's doing great. He's he's on track to start catching balls in the next few days. And uh, so we'll see how that actually plays out. There may be an adjustment period where he realized, okay, uh, I, I shouldn't be too optimistic. You don't want to be like too pessimistic either, but maybe you need to find a, a a more realistic balance. I think the one other position that I'm excited to look for, I mean, obviously we'll follow like the backup QBs again and the receivers and, and things like that. But um, in the trenches, I don't mean to like make this a, a nerdy trench podcast, but I think that's the other interesting one to watch against the 49ers because like the top three kind of defensive tackle spots are set. But then there are a bunch of guys there who kind of fill different roles that I think you could make arguments for. Um, like James Lynch, for example, is someone we haven't really talked about that much uh, over the past couple of years since he was a fourth round pick uh, in 2020. But he seems to fit this three, four scheme a lot better than he did the four, three, where he was kind of a, a tweener. So I think that gives him a shot. I mean, again, like Dane said, these aren't pe people that we see lots of things from in practice, which makes these games important. Uh, Jalen Twyman is a really cool story, but is he making the roster? Like, where does he fit as uh, kind of a, a guy with some pass rush ability um, in, in this 3-4? I mean, Jonathan Bullard, like T.Y. McGill, who had two sacks. Like, is there somebody that, Dane, that, that stands out to you from like last week's game and, and uh, kind of a skill set perspective that you see uh, being ahead in that race, if, if any, or if, if at all? 
Yeah, I know my guy Chris Thomason wants Jalen Twyman to be ahead in this race, but I I don't think he is. Like I think the guy who's ahead in this race right now is Ty McGill. He looked really good in the game last week. Um, just impactful plays and like talking to Donatel, like he said, the guys who aren't our starting front three, like when we're in base, have to be able to swing. And McGill can play inside, he can play outside. Um, so he's someone who I think, you know, his tape has shown. Like he's been in the league for a while, but also like if we're just looking at the games that we have or like the reps that we have in with him in this roster on this team, like he's someone who has outperformed everyone else around him. Um, that can obviously change in the next two weeks. Um, yeah, he's probably the, the guy I would point to. I, I'm just so proud of Dane right now because you two guys couldn't be more opposite in how you th- think and talk about the team like will loves every position battle ever in existence which of course i'm into and dane likes talking about like what the players are wearing and (laughs) and 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 how ridiculous fans are being and so the fact that you could give a legitimate austin schlotman and ty mcgill take which uh has anyone seen tj smith and ty mcgill in the same room like they might be the same person right i I, i'm actually because that was a really good and true answer uh somebody asked me a question though and you guys give me your opinion on this of whether they should still be into the idea of indomitian sue because that got super hot and heavy for like a day and a half and then totally disappeared and indomitian sue hasn't signed anywhere and when i look at the depth on the defensive line it's not very impressive. But then I looked up last year, I compared Armand Watts to Indomitian Sioux, and Armand Watts was way better in terms of his pass rush win rate, his PFF grade, his pressures that he created per pass rush, all those things. And so I'm kind of going like back and forth on that because when, when Dane is here th- racking his brain, what do I know about T.Y. McGill? that I could say on this show, it means that your depth is like not all that good. And I think that even if we've seen some things in general from the whole defensive line, including uh, Patrick Jones has kind of ascended a bit here. I think DJ Wanham has looked fine, but they didn't get a veteran behind Zadarius Smith and Daniil Hunter. And really when you look around, it's like, I don't know what Sheldon is up to, but uh, it doesn't seem like he's going to play this year or no one has signed Sheldon Richardson and Sue has expressed interest in playing, but I'm still a little hesitant of that idea because I think it would be good. But I also think if you sign Indomitian Sue, then you have to play Indomitian Sue. So takes. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think he would be more of kind of a big name than like a big on-field ad at this point. I don't know. I think he probably still has something left in the tank, but like you said, Armin Watts is a perfectly, capable like third defensive tackle who has a little pass rush juice you can move him around um i i don't i don't know sheldon richardson i think would would be a better fit probably than indomitian sue if he has interest in playing and do you, you remember we were at a practice where i was like i think that's sheldon richardson over there i was talking to you guys i'm pretty sure it was because i somebody on twitter like confirmed that not completely confirmed but like 95% confirmed. So if he has interest in coming back, this would make sense, even though it's a different, uh, it's a different defense and, and coordinator and coaches and all that. So I, I think that would help just as somebody kind of proven there. Like, so you're not counting on like Jalen Twyman or James Lynch, or I don't know, even a Sezi Otomowo uh, as much as possible. But um, yeah, I don't know, Dane, if you have any, any takes on that idea. I guess I'll stay on brand for Collar and say, like, I'm in the Ndamukong too because it's fun. Like, he's a fun name to bring in here. Like, and, like, 
maybe Armand Watts is better than him, like in, in PFF. And but I think that part of that has to do with like Armand Watts was ro- rotating in here and there. He wasn't like always going against like fresh guys. And I think if that role worked for him last year, bringing in someone like Indominus Sue to start and still keep Armand Watts in that role, albeit a little different role in a three, four than a four, three, but they're going to be a nickel a lot of the time. Like, yeah, it's a fun move. And like, as long as you don't have to pay him like, a bunch of money, which I think has obviously been the sticking point and why he's not signed. Like one, he's not as good as he used to be, obviously two, he probably wants a lot of money. So if he's willing to come down on it and the Vikings can just sign him to a one year, whatever deal, yeah, it's a fun thing that gets people excited. And I think it could work. So I'm into it if it's if for the right price, but I'm not paying him like, you know, I, I don't even know like $15 million to come here for one year. It it did run through my mind, Will, when you spotted the alleged Sheldon Richardson. Uh, <laughs> hey, maybe that could be like the name of your podcast thing, right? like the alleged Sheldon Richardson podcast. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, it ran through my mind that Sheldon Richardson would be the exact type of guy who would tell a team, yeah, I'll sign here, but there is no way I'm playing in camp. I've just had <laughs> enough of this. Like, I remember when we asked uh, Sheldon Richardson about – all the um, pandemic stuff and the, the different things that they had to go through with masks and everything else in 2020. He was like, yeah, it's fine. I just stayed in my house. I don't even like practice. And it was just like, yeah, it's <laughs> that's so classic. And then, you know, he went out and played pretty well, but that's Sheldon Richardson for you. I think he's a better option, but I also have these vibes with Sue. Cause I agree with you, Dane, that like uh, for the podcast numbers, the instant reaction would be pretty good, but, I also have these vibes of like late career Gerald McCoy where everyone was like, yeah, he's Zimmer's guy. They should get him. And then he went to the Raiders maybe and just did absolutely nothing. (laughs) Um, Who was the guy? There was another guy from uh, Cincinnati that was the same way. Geno Atkins. Uh, Geno Atkins. Yeah. Like, why doesn't Zimmer get, yo, that's who it was. That was the Zimmer guy. Um, not Gerald McCoy. It was like, yeah, Geno Atkins, why don't they get him? And then like, Geno Atkins does nothing. I mean, once those guys are done, the defensive tackles, they're probably done, but they, they could uh, potentially get some help there, I suppose, if Richardson just didn't want to go uh, to camp because I thought he was actually pretty decent last year. I also wanted to say, you know, since I'm saying how proud I am of you, of you guys, uh, we've gone 18 minutes and 29 seconds without talking about the backup quarterbacks as we discuss going into a preseason game. And, and I'm just, I'm happy about that. But if, if you want to do it, we can do it. I don't know if there is anything really to talk about. Like, let's, let's wait and see how they look in this game. It's it, in that Raiders game. I thought Kellen Mond kind of like took control of that job late by playing well and like showing flashes of things that Sean Mannion just never does like somewhat high level quarterback play. And then this week kind of reminded me like, all right, Kellen Mond still isn't that good. Uh, Sean Mannion is on a similar level. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens against the 49ers and if that separates at all. Um, but in, in, I know you guys wanted to talk about something from, joint practices specifically uh matt viking special teams coordinator matt daniels had some comments about kickoffs dane can you just explain kind of what was said and what your uh what your take on it was well i don't know how much you guys have talked about matt daniels on this pod but he's the best like he is probably my favorite person to interact with 
in the Vikings building just because he's so he's such a football guy and he's so intense. But he's also like kind of like at the same time, like really, really thoughtful and like like is very upfront and forthcoming with information. Like I feel like a lot of football guys are like football and we won't tell you anything. And Matt Daniels is like a football guy, but he tells you everything. So we asked him about kickoff yesterday and it was something I noticed in the preseason game. It's not like a genius observation, but like Greg Joseph wasn't putting it back the putting it through the back of the end zone. He was trying to, it seemed pop the ball up within, you know, the 10, five yard line and make the Raiders return it. So asked Matt Daniels about his philosophy in that matter. And maybe caller can remember like the four actual things he laid out, but he gave us like four, like basically talking points on why it makes sense to put the ball in play. And I think a lot of it at the end of the day comes down to just letting your guys make a play, but I'm all for that. Like I'm for that school of thought of like, why kick it out of the end zone? Unless you're going against Cordero Patterson, like make that guy return the ball and maybe it's a penalty. Maybe it's a fumble. Um, But unless he like, the chances of him getting past the 25 yard line, I think we're lower than him getting tackled inside the 25 yard line. So why would you just give them the 25 when you could like make sure that they don't have it or have an yeah, opportunity I'll, to yourself to, to I'll, do I'll jump in and I have it. I have it pulled up. The four things that Matt Daniels said can happen on a kickoff when it's returned, I believe is one, they return it past the 25 two, we tackle it inside the 25 three. There's a penalty. And four is they fumble. So three out of the four results are good, is his argument, right? Yeah. I yeah. I like it. It's, it's it's definitely more fun than just booting it through the back of the end zone every time and playing like that math game. I think that you would probably have to uh, have a PhD to figure out all of the expected points added and chart those things and everything else to determine. And, and maybe somebody has the football outsiders or pro football focus people or the uh, math wizards that have now started creating football charts and things like that. They could probably tell us. In fact, I saw the other day, someone figured out if the punter from the bills, the guy that they drafted, if he was able to punt it out of the back of the end zone on every punt, it would be the best punter of all time like by the expected <laughs> points added. If you just kick the touchback from every part of the field out of bounds every time, you're the best punter ever. Um, and with this, I just, I don't even want to know. Like even as a person who loves data, loves analytics, loves comparing what I'm seeing versus the numbers, I don't even want to know. And Matt Daniel said that he studied it and that he looked at the percentage of times the different things happen. I just want kickoffs. I want them to happen. It's an exciting play. It could be an exciting play for the team kicking off where if you get the guy at like the 15 yard line, everybody's jacked up. The offense comes out. They feel like they're pinned way back. I mean, to, to me also, when you kick it out of the back of the end zone, it gives the offense this chance to like slowly meander out onto the field and like get all settled and everything else, as opposed to, Oh man, the other team just made a big play against us. And now we're 10 yards back. Like maybe great teams don't get thrown off by stuff like that, but there's a, like, there's a little advantage there. And Ken A. Wongwu or Cordero Patterson, I would not get off, kick off to, but back in the day, they used to really train these kickoff specialists. You're like Mel Gray's and Tameric Vanover's. Now it's just kind of like, 
Uh, who's fast? Anybody want to give this a try? Remember when like Holton Hill was trying it, Amir Abdullah? It was kind of like anybody who doesn't really play. You want to like return right. pick for us? Just stand back there and watch it. I think it, it could result in giving up some big plays where the other team starts at the 50, but probably way more plays where you gain a little momentum about it. And his point about the penalties, the, the number of penalties that are called in the league on punts and kickoffs is just totally absurd, which you can use actually in your advantage. And they're all and on the ret- they're all on the return team. Every time on the return yeah. team, except for when Chris Boyd somehow has like a uh, block <laughs> in the back um, three times in a single game. But like this right here, here's why we loved this so much. This is this would be my theory, is that this is the first time we've actually heard a football hack out of this coaching staff. Like the rest of the time, it's like, you know what we're going to do, guys? And don't tell anybody, we're going to marry the run in the past. We're like, oh, all right. Well, you know, that does happen. I mean, it's just like, you know, Kevin O'Connell's not showing his cards at all. Like you said, Dane, like, like this is the first football hacky thing with numbers that we've actually heard and Matt Daniels being like, Oh, also I just love football. And that's why like, I, I, I cannot, I can't wait for this. I've just gotten so frustrated. We just go get ice cream or whatever during kickoffs. And now we actually are going to have to watch them. I co-signed the, just the general point about Matt Daniels being awesome. Like just his passion. I mean, he's a special teams coordinator. Like that is a perfect position for you to be very boring and like not very insightful. I will not name either of the two previous Viking special teams coordinators that I've covered, but neither was particularly interesting and they were good people and they were good at their jobs. But Matt Daniels is really like, he gets really fired up about this. And I think that's awesome. I I do question his math a little bit because he said that he laid out these four possibilities. And then he said, there's a 75% chance that the ball doesn't get past the 25 yard line based on that. I don't, that's kind of just giving equal weight to each of those four things. I don't know if that's exactly how it works, but I like you know, I like where his head's at. I like the spirit of it. And uh, I think I think it'd be fun. Hey, kick it, kick it short. Let him return it. Go, go draw a penalty or pop the ball out or, or make a big play and get fired up. Momentum. Huge for the, uh, huge for the confidence of, of the guys on the special teams units. Teach your guys to take a dive. Anytime someone like touches you in the back, throw <laughs> yes. yourself on the ground, draw a penalty. There you go. <laughs> I love it. Well, another thing, um, all right, get a, get a little bit ridiculous here is you, you mentioned Chris Boyd and it made me think of uh, joint practices yesterday. It was a special teams drill, actually. And he was jawing with a couple 49ers players after the fact. Uh, Kevin O'Connell and Kyle Shanahan made like a, a, a big emphasis on not fighting during the, uh, the, the joint practices. We saw that a lot around the league. My question is this, and this may be a completely absurd question is there an argument to be made that they should have allowed fighting to bring out the competitive juices dane what do you think no absolutely not that's <laughs> ridiculous well okay me and jace actually Fair. talked about this on on our podcast but like fighting in training camp is so stupid like honestly the only it's reason a team I'm, bonding activity i'm okay i'm into it for one reason and one reason only, I would enjoy it. I'd be like, oh, man, I haven't really watched a ton of practice today. Oh, my God, a fight. But, like, so I would love that. Oh, I thought but you like, were saying you would enjoy it, like, as a player. But, no, you would just enjoy no. watching it. I mean, I'd probably enjoy it as a player, too. Callers see me play basketball. I get pretty fired up. Um, But, no, like, I feel like fighting is such, like, a 
like a stupid thing in these training camp practice, especially against like a, a like a joint practice against another team where like you've really played up the idea that like we need reps, like we need we need to see another defense. And then like if you're just like one of your reps is gonna be like, let's just like throw hands. Like I, I don't I don't see how that like benefits anyone. I think it's fun. Like I think it would be like a funny like subplot of a practice. Um, but I'm at I think where I lean at the end of the day is like, I'm anti-fighting in practice because it's dumb. Yeah, I, Dane, Dane is the only person I've ever seen get flagrant fouled in <laughs> rec league basketball because he talked so much and played so physically as in like fouling 11 times in a game that someone got overly frustrated and actually flagrant fouled Dane. So, <laughs> so you are the type you are the one that would be like need to be held back. That's one of my favorite things is like Amir Smith-Marset on the first day got upset and some lineman just like grabbed him and held him back. It was like, hold me back, hold me back. As if you're really going to whoop the guy like out here with all the pads on. Like you're just going to – like I'm going to I'm gonna take this guy down here and now. Like come on. Nobody even gets hurt in these ex- unless they hurt their hands. Uh, they also have helmets on. Like what are they right. fighting? They're punching not, each other in the helmet. helmet. They have helmets with extra helmets on them, like with the fuzzy pads that I don't know that actually do anything. So that would have been, yeah, that would have been uh, completely ridiculous. I think it goes under the, like when we're talking about these joint practices and camp and preseason, one of the thing that always amuses me is like, there's stuff that matters during this time. The right guard position, like definitely matters with this team and it's worth discussion and how people look. Justin Jefferson absolutely mauling the 49ers and making 49ers players retire on the spot uh, was pretty interesting to watch. But then there's just these other things that come up that that are so funny. It's just like the the backup quarterback stuff, the should they trade Alexander Madison, the no fighting in joint practice. It's like we have to check every bingo box of preseason stuff that we're talking about. Like, oh, it's good to go against somebody else out there. These reps matter. And you're like, I guess so. I mean, I don't know. They threw against the 49ers like nine times. Like, I don't know if this is going to do anything or not, right? I mean, it's just like joint practices are one of those. Well, we definitely have to cover them. And then fans want to know, like, who looks great out there? Like, I don't know. I mean, they're all pretty good. (laughs) Some got, you know, like, I'm not sure. Uh, You know, here's a discussion. Do you guys care that – a 49ers fan took video of Nick Bosa annihilating uh, Christian Derrissaw on a couple of plays. Well, I was going to say that because I think the three like overarching things from joint practice without having to like get into any like crazy details were one, Justin Jefferson torched everybody he went against, which to be fair, the 49ers were missing like their top two cornerbacks. I don't think that would have changed anything if they were playing anyways, but I thought that was one. The other was, from the Vikings' perspective, like a, a positive one was I thought Zadarius Smith was really good. Uh, he like he's someone who's had kind of a quiet camp at times, just relative to like his star power and what we've seen him do in the league. But he was he was in the backfield a ton, um, especially yesterday. Like him, Daniel Hunter, a lot of the Vikings' defensive front was making were making things really hard on Trey Lance, which I think is a good thing. And then conversely maybe this is concerning maybe not um the vikings offensive line was pretty awful on thursday like kirk was sacked six times seven times a lot of it was nick bosa but um some mm-hmm. javon kinlaw and other people as well the one thing i'll say is like 
I, I, there were a couple reps that I saw where like the Vikings put Ben Ellison on Nick Bosa, which to me is a, a total like there's no way Kevin O'Connell does that in a game. That's just like all right, let's Ben Ellison's getting getting this love as a blocker off of this Raiders performance. Like let's throw him out there against Nick Bosa see if he has a chance. Spoiler alert, he didn't. But I guess you learned that now. Uh, so I'm not overly concerned. There were some reps of Derisaw getting beat and, and even Brian O'Neill getting beat, but I don't think there's anything to be super concerned about. I mean, I just think Nick Bosa might just be like freakishly good at football. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Like Nick Bosa's really good. Like that's what that clip told me that circulated the internet. Like Nick Bosa disrupted the Vikings offense like on three on back to back to back plays. I mean, would would it have been nice if you're a Vikings fan to see Christian Derisaw pancake Nick Bosa? Yeah. But, like, that's probably not going to happen. Like, Nick Bosa might be the best pass rusher in the league off the edge or one of the best. So I don't think we learned anything yesterday by that clip. Um, and I don't know if it's fair to judge Darisaw off of those three clips that have been circulating. Like, we don't we don't clip the and tweet the clip of him holding his block. It doesn't look as cool. So Yeah, and I watched a lot of Darisaw versus Bosa on the first day. I watched the defense on the second day, and I thought it was a really good battle. Like They went back and forth. They got each other sometimes. But I think what you touched on, Will, is the exact reason why I'm not – I know for the coaches that some of this stuff is important, especially when it comes to second-team players, where they're at. And I I think that there's a lot of it. Is and I think Kevin O'Connell almost admitted to it of like, yeah, they took away our preseason stuff. So this is our response as football men is to make them have these really hard practices. But Richard Sherman, of all people, tweets out this clip and he's just like, yeah, I mean, retire as an offensive coordinator if you actually end up with Ben Ellison on Nick Bosa, which, as you said, like just will not happen. I mean, they know that there's fans in the stands videotaping these things and putting them out there. So they're trying to have practices where they run all base stuff that's super vanilla, but then your non-schemed base vanilla stuff gets, you know, Ben Ellison destroyed by one of the best (laughs) players of the NFL. Like, did this accomplish what you were hoping it would accomplish? I'm not sure that it really did. Um, and, And, you know, the other thing I'm not sure about either is like, we've been looking for a player to become like the Mr. Mankato and rise to the challenge, be the guy that everybody's talking about. Like, wow, this guy surprised us. I have not had that experience at all. I don't know about you gentlemen, but Tristan Jackson is like maybe the closest, but only because reps are happening and not even because there's this daily, like he doesn't even have Alexander Holland's buzz at this moment. I mean, who are we even giving Mr. Mankato to at this point? Because usually the joint practices like, Oh, this guy really smoked the 49ers. Like now it's a big preseason game. I, do you have somebody? I, I got nothing so far. Yeah, I don't, I'm with you. I don't, I don't have, I don't think there's an obvious answer. I think last year it was pretty clearly KJ Osborne, like just a guy who didn't really do anything uh, in his rookie year. And then what kind of popped every single day and also fits the, the criteria. I like, the criteria are important because I think Ed Ingram would be would have a chance, but it has to be a third round picker later. Also has to be somebody who's not like an established NFL player, which I think rules out Greg Joseph, which is such a which would be such a cop out answer anyway because he's a freaking kicker. But like he's had a really good camp, so I don't know if it's not if it's not those two. Uh, yeah, Tristan Jackson, Myron Mitchell, like Ty Chan. I don't I I don't know. Dane, you got anything? I think maybe Ty Chandler, but he rolled his ankle like maybe he would have looked good in in Thursday's practice and then if he 
parlays that into a good Saturday game. Like he was obviously one of the stars to come out of last Sunday's game against the Raiders. So I think there could have been some Ty Chandler smoke if he wasn't out with an ankle injury for one of the joint practices, like to you guys point makes a lot of waves as far as the Mr. Mankato resume goes like your joint practice performance. And he didn't get one of those. I think by the end of the preseason, he's someone who could, could launch himself to the top of that list. But yeah, like it's been a pretty generally boring competition so far. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, normally I gravitate to a receiver, and I really haven't this year. I, I think you could tell we've reached the point in camp where we're just like, is football going to happen soon? Come on, football. <laughs> like, real football. Let's just – Real – not uh, preseason football, like actual football, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're right about Ty Chandler. That's probably the best one so far because he had a single good preseason game. And then uh, this goes for the ridiculous takes of people wanting to trade Alexander Madison. Like, I, I, I do remember when Rock Thomas had a good preseason debut. So I don't <laughs> think you should quite be putting a gold jacket on anybody yet. But to not even have like candidates really at this point is pretty surprising. So here's another question that was uh, asked to me on, on Friday Mailbag. And, I, and I'm sorry, Will, if you had like more questions and I'm hijacking you here, but no. um, somebody asked if if I feel any different about anything with this team from the day the training camp started. And I think the answer for me is not really, except for I'm very confident in the way they're handling player health, which is a, a, a an F minus hot take. <laughs> it's just like not really that interesting at all. But isn't that like the best thing that, that Kevin O'Connell could have hoped for is that no one like nothing really changed for our minds from the beginning of training camp and our expectations until like three weeks in. Yeah, I think so. I mean, like yeah, there's no major injuries aside from Irv Smith, which is a story in and of itself. I was talking to a 49ers reporter yesterday and like the 49ers have so many soft tissue, like hamstring injuries, like, three defensive backs, their top running back, um, their right, their starting right tackle. There's a couple others too. And he's saying that that's not like a, a rare thing, like that that happens kind of every year. And like Kyle Shanahan doesn't really know how to handle that. I think that's a real tangible thing that Vikings fans should be kind of not overlooking and like be excited about. I don't want to like talk it up like the Vikings players are going to be invincible this year because then they'll probably all get hurt and I will, I'll look foolish. But I think there's a real like legitimate thing that they've done with, with Tyler Williams and these other people from the Rams, like the sports science, what, I don't know what they're doing back there in the, in the training rooms and whatnot, but uh, it's made a real difference and other teams that aren't doing it might be at a disadvantage. So that's been the one thing, like you said, that stood out. I, yeah. I don't know if anything's really changed. It's, it's been just a little, like, hey, how'd Kellen Mond do today? And uh, everything from like a starting perspective, like the the, the players who are going to play against the Packers. I yeah, I don't I don't know that much has changed. The one thing I'll say that I like didn't know was going to be a thing starting out at training camp, or was I unsure of? Was like, is Greg Joseph actually good? Like, should they have like brought in extra competition? Because Gabe Burkick or whoever, however you say his last name, in the spring was like not really good competition. He missed like every kick, like 40 yards left. So it's like, did you really even put Greg Joseph in a kicking competition? Like, no, you didn't. So I was like a little bit like, should they have brought someone in to at least push this guy? Like, is that like just some football thing that they, that I'm just used to because Zimmer hated his kicker so much. But I was like a little bit like, how good is Greg Joseph actually? And he's 
really good. Like, I guess like we'll know for sure once the season gets underway, but there's no reason to not be confident in, in Greg Joseph moving forward because he's been like, Will said, like if he was qualified for Mr. Mankato, he'd probably just win. So he's been good. That's the only thing that's really stood out to me as far as like, what have we learned in the past three weeks? I think about these take, like if I am accumulating takes from this training camp, from the fans and like the questions I get the most. And like, one of them is, are you guys jinxing Greg Joseph by telling us how well he's kicking in camp? <laughs> like that's, that is one of the top five most tweeted at me things along with the Madison trade, any backup quarterback take like, like that. Think about like I was just seeing a report from ESPN today about Matt Rule and how he was going to start PJ Walker when they have and I like PJ Walker from uh, XFL, but I mean they drafted Matt Corral and they've got PJ Walker, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, who they're claiming there's still a quarterback competition, but they're not playing them in the preseason game. Like Matt Rule is taken over from some of the other leaders like Joe Judge and Urban Meyer is the most like cartoonish football coach there is. And for for Kevin O'Connell to be this far into training camp with no cartoon moments, that that the team gets out there, they practice, uh, it seems organized. He hasn't said anything ridiculous. Nobody has seemed to get mad at him or like take jabs at him in any of the, the practices or the press conferences or anything like that. It's like if you can survive through this start of the season, especially healthy, I think that you've done a really good job. It's like I, I almost sound like a raving lunatic to say that if you haven't stepped on your own feet and fallen flat on your face, then you're doing a pretty good job. But that is absolutely true so far for Kevin O'Connell. It's like the best case scenario that people are talking about whether we're jinxing Greg Joseph or not. Yeah, I agree. I think I think Quasey looks pretty good too because the guard that he selected in the second round that was kind of viewed as a reach or an iffy pick at the time has looked really good in, in the uh, to the extent that we can evaluate guard play in, in these in these practices and preseason games. I think that's a positive takeaway. It's it's been encouraging. The good vibes that we heard about all throughout the offseason with this new this new regime have kind of continued. Um, so we'll see. There's there's still three weeks until uh, until the opener. Things can change. Two more preseason games, but I think you got to be feeling pretty good if you're a Vikings fan or not. Even Stefan Diggs tweeted about how much he loves the Minnesota State Fair. So like, <laughs> yeah, right. it's all it's all coming up, coming up Minnesota right now. OK, I do want to push back a little bit uh, on the Quasi point because Quasi did step on his own foot with the you're right, comments you're right, you're right. and got got called out by people with two million Twitter followers like Pat McAfee and uh, became a debate show topic like instantly, which is not what he wanted. And the other thing is like with the right guard competition, Yes, Ingram is going to win it, and I agree that what I see with my eye, there looks like there's some good things there, but was it ever real? I mean, it's Jesse Davis. Like You could also say ever- that maybe signing Jesse Davis was for $3 million or whatever was just completely pointless then, yeah. Right, and it's also a second-round guard, which might be pointless, also considering that there's always guards available. And, hey, here's here's what we should end on, is like, since we've been saying that everything is going good and fine and whatever else, the one thing that's not going good is Lewis Seen. Like, now, I don't pretend to to know, like, on a rep-to-rep basis, is Lewis Seen making the right read? Is he jumping into the right play? But to have joint practices with zero first-team reps, for Lewis Seen, 
it, it definitely makes you wonder, like, is this going how they expected it to go? Because we all thought he was going to start right from day one. Dan, your thoughts. I think part of that maybe speaks to Cam Bynum, but more of it probably speaks to Lewis scene. Like he's probably just not ready. Like, and maybe that was like an unrealistic like expectation to put on this kid. I mean, he's a first round pick. Like I think that it's reasonable to think he's going to, he was going to start. Um, but when like it became pretty clear quickly that Cam Bynum is going to be their starting safety alongside Harrison Smith. And while I think the three safety look that they're going to give at times is interesting. Like, I think that could be a nice wrinkle for a defense. I think if like, as your defensive coordinator or as head coach talking up, like, Oh, we're going to use three safeties a lot is almost like a way to couch. Like, yeah, Lewis seems not our starting safety. Like you're just talking about like, well, he's going to see the field a lot. Cause we're going to run three safety, but they're not running three safety all the time. And the fact that Lewis isn't getting these reps right now, concerning i don't know if that's the right world i don't know what the right word is because like it's not like i'm not worried about like is he ever going to be a good football player but i think it's reasonable to say like maybe he's not who you thought he was yet or maybe he's behind you know the trajectory that you thought he would be able to take on throughout training camp um talking to him last week though like he seems to have the right mindset like he seems to be like some of these kids like are super hard on themselves and like he came from Georgia's defense and like one of the best defenses of all time in college football. And I could see a kid like that, like not starting and like just breaking their brain, like, because like I'm not starting. Um, He seems to have the right mindset. Like, yes, I'm going to make mistakes. I'm at the right. I'm not necessarily where I want to be right now, but I think he's handling this in, in the right way. Um, But at the end of the day, yeah. Like I thought he would at least be sniffing some first team reps um, and, and he's not, so that's significant to me. Yeah. I think scene and Andrew Booth to some extent are kind of like in a strange position where they've showed some good things, but they've also showed like they've offered plenty of reminders that, Hey, we are, we are rookies. We have uh, a long way to go. And I think in some ways they play like m- more challenging positions to learn as a rookie than like a guard, like Ed Ingram does where it's just like, all right, let me fire off the ball and, and hit you. I'm not, there's communication and there's various different kinds of blocks, but playing defensive back is such a, in the NFL, such a complex thing. Um, so I, I haven't been super discouraged by either of those, but I think, and, and I, I will say, I don't think you can completely rule out either scene or booth starting week one with, with three plus weeks to go. It'll probably be the cams uh, by them and Dantzler, but I don't think you can rule that out. And And I will say, I don't think I'm, discouraged by their long-term prospects, even if they don't necessarily start week one. I don't know. Yeah. I, th- I think with, with seen much more than booth, it would raise an eyebrow for me and I'm not yeah. declaring bust, but safeties have come in the league and had, in fact, PFF studied this, that like they've had one of the easiest learning curves overall. That doesn't mean it's a, every applies to every circumstance, but like the Derwin James is, or the uh, was it uh, Malik Hooker? Who was the guy who came in? Was that his name who came into the the Dolphins last year? It was like an, an Javon Holland. Oh, Javon Holland. Yeah, that's yeah. so. It was like, yeah, there there have been a lot of these in recent years. I remember looking at this who have come in and been good right away, and so I think it was a reasonable uh, expectation. If he's not good this year and isn't in the game a lot, I I'm going to really wonder what happened there because Cam Bynum is a fourth round pick with like limited upside. There's there's, it's not, it's a high bar, but it's not like an insanely high bar. 
to be crossed. And uh, yeah, I, I also wouldn't rule out that it eventually happens. So, um, you know, it, I think it's something to definitely watch, but um, maybe we can, maybe we can end on this. Uh, Dane, give me one totally off the wall thing that you are looking forward to with the Vikings second preseason game. Totally. Give me something random that you want to see. I got you. I'm looking forward to which player makes Vikings Twitter just like become a take machine. Like who is it going to be this time? Like it was Kellen Mon and it was mainly Wong Wu and, and Chandler last week. Of, Let's trade Alexander Madison. Cause these two guys looked really good carrying the ball in the second quarter. Like which player is it going to be this week that people are like, yeah, you know what? Johnny Munt looks so good. Who cares if Irv Smith comes back? Like, you know, like there, there, something's going to happen on Saturday night and it's Saturday night game. So it's six o'clock fans are going to be drinking. They're going to be on their Twitter machines and they're going to be tweeting some dumb stuff. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Um, probably more than the game itself, because by like third quarter, like I'm going to be honest, I'll probably tune out of watching every single play very intently because it doesn't really matter. I don't think I can top that. I think, I think let's leave it on that. I like it. It's the only reason to watch preseason football. Thank you so much for your time, Dane. And uh, good luck with the allegedly Sheldon Richardson podcast. And uh, <laughs> we, <laughs> we will, uh, we will talk to you guys uh, or well, I'll see you out there, Dane, of course. And we'll, we'll have another show next week that we've already got kind of scheduled. And uh, I think it should be a really fun one. So we'll talk to you guys soon. See ya. Thanks, guys.